Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. I know. <laughs> I'm used to that. I'm wiping dogs' bottoms and children's things and all day, every day. It's my life. Yes. Just for context, you weren't wiping my ass. It was a <laughs> tissue. It was a tissue, was a tissue that, that I blow my nose on. To you. That's a bit lucky, really. I've wrapped it in the wrapper. Do you want some hand sanitizer? I've got. I some. wouldn't mind a, a oh, bit. Oh. Okay. Hold on. That would be nice. Thank you. Hold on. Why don't I just pop out of the kitchen and watch my, wash my hands? Not watch them. <laughs> I'm going to go and watch my hands. All right. Do you want to do that? Yeah. Or do you want hand sanitizer? I'll go and wash my hands. Okay. I'll All entertain right. the, I'll the kids here. Talk about me while I'm gone. She's really lost it. So I didn't tell her to touch my dirty tissues. <laughs> anyway, as you all know, we record these things in sets. So I'm still here, still with the allergies. I've got a lozenge, a lozenge now. And Dee Dee told me off that it's not a lozenge, it's a lozenge. Is that what we said? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a bit of dyslexia then. Um, I've got quite a serious story and it's quite horrific. So I'll warn people now um, before Dee Dee comes back that it's quite horrific and it does involve child homicide. Dee Dee's coming back right now. I'm going to have to warn her because she's a crier. Okay, I need to warn you, children die in this story. Oh, dear. I know. So I've been diving back through the stories I've covered in court. This was one of them that um, that I kind of stuck with me, but I'll tell you why at the end. Mm-hmm. Not really because of how horrific it is for another reason. So the story is about a man called Charles Mahayo. Um, I'll refer to him as Mahayo from this point forward. Uh, he comes from Tanzania. And before settling in Australia, he moved to China where he was a translator and a businessman. By 2007, though, he was here in Melbourne uh, and he was engaged the following year, so in 2008, and he married that woman. Mm -hmm. The couple had two children, Savannah, who was born in 2009, and Indiana, who was born in 2011. Mm -hmm. Do you know this story? No. I feel like it might come back to you. Do I need to swallow this lozenge? I feel like you can hear it rolling around in my mouth. No, it's fine. Is it? Yeah. Mm. Okay. I used to. I thought it was Tanzania when I was at high school. I don't know if it's Tanzania or Tanzania. Well, everyone else says Tanzania, so I think mm. I was wrong. Just uh, I was reading it and thinking it was Tanzania. I'm sure I, that sounds mm. wrong. So, um, Indiana was born in 2011, but by the end of 2011, the marriage was suffering, and the pair separated. By 2012, they were divorced. Mm-hmm. During and after the divorce, there were just these continuing arguments about custody of the children and how much access Mahayo would have to them. Mm -hmm. And this went on and on and on, these arguments. He was also chatting to his work colleagues um, and he was – this is out of order. You're out of order. Order in the court. Oh, has it gone double-sided? It's gone double-sided. Okay, I'm back. It's the bloody tight ass work printer that does double sided on everything. I hate that. Right. And there's like a little leaf next to the right. printing thing. It's like, no. And they've started making us swipe our pass so they know exactly how much everyone's printing. Oh, with the photocopier. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
Um, it was said in court that Maheo felt like he was being wronged about the custody arrangements mm-hmm. um, and he was being treated unfairly by his wife. Uh, the pair continued to argue and during those arguments, Maheo had threatened her. Mm-hmm. And at one point he said to her that he would slit her throat oh. and he'd pushed her. By 2013, Maheo was working at a factory distribution centre and his co-workers observed changes in his behaviour. He was negative all the time, he was in a bad mood and he told one colleague that he wasn't sleeping very well. The following year, we're now in 2014, Mm. Maheo began to tell his wife that he was was done, that he was just going to relinquish all his entitlement to seeing his children. He was hostile towards her um, and... A later search revealed that he had Googled, how can I kill my ex-wife? Mm. Very specific. God. Um, yeah, right. I thought, just Google, how do I murder someone? Not how do what I kill my ex-wife? What comes up if you do that? What comes up on the... When we do it? Well, you keep going and I'll Google it and we'll see. Okay. I'm gonna, I've got you want me to do you. it off my... It'll no, be less suspicious off the no, court reporter's phone. No, you doing with you. Okay. I don't um, have an ex-wife, so they they true. Um, and would, would this be like? Will there be like some weird alert that the police will come crashing in here if I? Well, it's all recorded, so I think we're okay. Okay. Um, he was also chained to his work colleagues again, and he was talking to them about ways he could kill her and get away with it. Right. Mm. Okay. So after this, Mahayo and his ex-wife uh, they had to get lawyers in because it just wasn't coming. To a happy kind of resolution. How do I murder my ex-wife? Oh, I'm scared to look at this. Uh, Jeremy Renner's ex-wife claims he threatened to kill her. Story on TMZ is the first story that comes up. If you're going to kill you kill your spouse, you probably shouldn't. Oh. Is the top article from something called Tech Dirt. Mehmed Solmaz jailed for 25 years for killing ex-wife. Oh yeah, I know that one. Fatima. Australian man Googled, how can I kill my ex-wife? That's your one. Oh, see? So this story's about him come up, which means who knows what came up when he looked at it. I don't want that in my search history. Yeah, well. Um, So they get lawyers in and they also go to a family centre to try and work out how they were going to manage the kids. But again, Mahayo had made up his mind that he would just not be seeing them. On that same day, he returned several of his daughter's belongings to his ex-wife. He was just like, I'm never going to see them again. Mm. So the following day after he gave all those items back, um, he began to text his ex-wife asking to see the children. He told her that he wanted to see them to say goodbye one last time. Uh, There was suggestions going back and forth between the two of them. They thought that maybe she would drop them at her dad's place, so their grandfather's place, but he said no to that. So she agreed to drop them at his house. Um, we're now at April 19. On that same day, Maheo modified a note on his phone. I didn't know cops could track that, but he's modified a note on his phone that was originally written on April the 2nd. It was a note to his ex-wife, and in that note, Maheo had said that he was never going to see her again, and he had a list of incidents. So he'd really been stewing over all this. He had a list of incidents which he relied on to demonstrate her unreasonableness in their dealings with the children. Would this be in the little notes app? I'm guessing so, yeah. yeah. 
Um, he specifically wrote that she had not acknowledged the efforts he made for their children and accused her of being heartless and selfish and willing to hurt the children by excluding him from their lives. Can I just say, though, if yep. not knowing what's coming, yep. but if I was her at this point, point of what's going on or mm-hmm. yes he's seemed to have a, a anger thing whatever mm-hmm. but I don't think I would be hesitating to take the children to him to say you goodbye. wouldn't no no and I don't think I'll, I don't I think just on what I've heard I agree yes he sounds like he's he's a powder keg yeah but if he wants to say goodbye to the kids I think I'd do the same thing yeah um and of course I think you and I have spoken about this before that's someone that you're in love you were in love with at one point yeah and also, it sounds like there's going to be a point where you can then move on. Yes. Let's say goodbye and yes. get on with it. Yep. So basically that note is just angry. It's filled with anger and he's listed all these things that she's done wrong. But she didn't know about that. No. No. So now when the children came over, he knew that they were going to come over, but he, it was said that perhaps he didn't know that he was going to be left alone with them. He was... Um, often supervised with the children, but not being supervised with them, he took advantage of it. Mm. So once inside his Watsonia home, uh, Maheo dressed the two girls in clothes he'd bought for them. He sent them outside to show their mother their outfit. So she was waiting just down the street. Mm -hmm. They then came back to the house. He took a video of them. And then while playing a game with the two girls, he smothered them both to death with a pillow. He then took them individually to uh, the bathroom where he washed and dried them. He then laid them out in the lounge room, one on the floor and one on the couch. At 2.35 p.m., he rang triple zero and told an operator that he wanted to report a double murder. Mm. Nine minutes later, their mother rang triple zero because she was worried that something had happened. Mm. She was worried because he had been saying odd things through the door, so she'd gone to the door for some reason He's, to pick the girls up? I think so. Yeah. He started saying weird things. So she's called Triple O. A minute after her call, because of his call, mm. police arrived. They went inside and he said, it's done, I've killed them. When police asked him why, he said, you have to ask her, referring to his ex-wife. Mm. Um, now, the next kind of part I've taken largely from the sentence that was handed down by Justice Lex Lazary in the Supreme Court um, because I think it's just really relevant. Um, at this point, Justice Lazary acknowledged the four Victoria Police constables who turned up. Oh, so two yes, turned up because of his call, two turned up because of her, her call. Um, he acknowledged what they would have seen uh, and the horrific brutality that was within that home. He also asked that those comments be passed on to the Chief Commissioner of Police, mm. who's this our is sounding top vaguely familiar cop. here. I remember is hearing, it? yeah, d- just in the the police being praised for the work that they did there. Yeah. And yeah, when you said Watsonia, they made familiar. sense. Yeah, you might remember when you see a picture of the girls. Mm. Um, Justice Lazary also made a point of saying that he had watched uh, Mahayo's record of interview very carefully. In that he said that Maheo was calm and he immediately told them that he didn't plan on telling them why he had done it. He simply said, I did what I had to do. He said he had his reasons and the police did not need to know what those reasons were. <laughs> he was asked about what he did and actually in what order he did it. And after some persistence, he did tell them in a very calm and measured manner how he'd smothered them. 
He said he was very conscious of what he was doing and he was um, he accepted full responsibility for it. Um, he said that he, dis- Justice Lex Lazarus said that Maheo described in horrifying detail the procedures he took to killing his daughters. I wonder how long it takes to for A someone- while. Does it? Yeah, I reckon from doing this podcast, we've kind of worked out it takes at least a couple of minutes. Mm. Um, so he said he was playing a game with them where he was kind of covering their face and going, you know, like hiding under the pillow. Mm. And then he simply just held them down. At the end of the interview, he did concede that his actions were selfish. Mm. Who would have thought? This is directly from the sentence that I'll read because I think it's really relevant and important. I think it's quite well put. Justice Lex Lazarus said, So the question remains, why did you commit these horrendous crimes? You told the police that the reason does not really matter and is not important. You suggested to the police that the courts do not care why you did what you did. You are as wrong as you could be about that. The reason why you committed these crimes does, of course, matter. You are part of the broader community, and when a crime as horrendous as yours is committed, that community is entitled to ask why such a thing happened. You told the police that the unstated reason you had at the time justified what you did, though it did not make it right. I do not understand how a reason can justify what you did, but did not but not make it right. Mm. There are no reasons that could justify what you did or make it right. Mm. Um, he goes on to say, I've been actively involved in the practice of criminal law since 1973. I believe I largely understand why serious crimes occur, no matter how vicious, but I admit I'm at a loss to understand why these terrible crimes occurred. Um he was rejected on the notion that the murders were spontaneous. He was 36. No, no yeah. You don't believe him? It. Yeah, no. bullshit. He was 36 when he was sentenced. He was given life behind bars. He can apply for parole after 31 years. He shouldn't be allowed to. You think if those girls were 31? I know. Which I know they're not because they were, you know, they'd be 40 or something. But 31 years is nothing. I just want to see if you remember them, if I show you a photo and we can put this up online. I think you will. Oh, poor little babies. They were on the front page of the paper, I think. They're the sweetest little girls. How do you, I mean, if he's got anger and he's angry at his wife or, you know, soon to be not wife. I think it was that photo. Don't take it out on, yes, don't take it out on the girls. Mm. Don't take it out on anyone. Wow, that's that's hard. It's horrible, isn't, isn't it? Awful. Horrible. I don't want him to get. So is he guaranteed? Oh, he can apply for parole. He can apply for. Years. Yeah. Well, I hope they turn him down. Mm. But I remember this case because I thought like he was so. And I'm not saying that it's just uneducated people that murder people, but he was so educated and yeah, yeah. Just it was I, shocking. The whole concept of parole to me sucks. Like you should because. The family have to think, you know, after that 31 years comes up, mm. they've then got to – do they then have to go to the courts and say, well, I, here's the reasons I don't want him to get back out? I think so, yeah. So it's never over for Correct. Them. It's never over. It should be you go to jail, you and stay that's there, it. that's the yeah. end of the sc- – let everyone else get on with their totally. lives. Don't let it come up again. Mm. Oh, dear. Well, I've got one of those um, – and I think we're going to get a lot more stories like this because of – you know, the advances in DNA and so many cold cases are mm. being unlocked because of there DNA. There are so many cold cases being solved. 
Mm. And I love every single one of them. So Same. I've just picked one at random. Uh, this is a woman in uh, back in 2001. Corrie van der Volk lived in Nederasselt, which is in the Netherlands. She was 58 and very well off. She was so her family had a hotel and catering dynasty. They had 98 hotels. Wow. Yeah, worth an absolute fortune and Corrie stood to inherit all of it. So she was, you know, a prime prospect for someone. Right. She was married to a gentleman by the name of Nico. Why did that make you like a smile? All the good ones are called That's Nico. Right. Well, hold, wow. hold your No, Nico's all right. Um, they had separated, though. There were some problems in the marriage. They were still living together under the same roof. They had this a luxury farm, we'll call it, with their six kids. So they were still living under the same roof. So we'll call it an amicable separation, but they were divorcing. Right. On the morning of January the 7th, 2001, Corrie and Nico had a coffee together. So they're still civil. Friends. And then Corrie disappeared. Oh, no. It was three weeks before they reported her missing. Why? Well, the kids thought she'd gone on a holiday without telling them, and that was something that she had done before. Right. She'd be a jet setter. Well, either jet setter or just ever so slightly flaky. Right. She's had had a little bit of, um, I'm going for a bit of me time type getaway before. Sure. Um, but... They raised the alarm when um, Nico's 60th birthday came up and a party had been organised and she should have been there and she was invited and she would have been there and when she didn't show up for the party, that's when they called the police. No sign of her anywhere. Her clothes, her driving licence and her purse had all been left at home, which I feel like they should have noticed three weeks earlier, but anyway, Mm. let's not blame the poor family. Uh, The Dutch police found out that Corrie had been in the process of divorcing Nico, so they then suspected him. They thought that perhaps he had killed her. They named him as the prime suspect. He denied doing anything to her, but in March of 2001, uh, so that was January she went missing, by March they arrested him. Uh, He spent three weeks in custody and they eventually released him without charge. And when he got out, he spoke to the media. He said, I've known my wife for 40 years. She always managed to arrange everything perfectly. I'm just going to say, I'm wondering if something's lost in the translation here from from Dutch to English, because it doesn't, what he says doesn't make sense at all. Okay. He said, although she gives me a lot of trouble, oh, no. I am also a bit proud of her. <laughs> she has also arranged this perfectly. She succeeded in getting 25 police officers out of the garden. <laughs> I don't know what he means. <laughs> and you laugh, you cough laughing, which is... I'm muttly. I'm taking it as a good sign. I don't know what he meant. Hold I on, don't what? Know. 25 police... She also succeeded, succeeded in, in getting 25 police officers... Maybe he means... You know, out of the like, garden. I would love 25 police in my garden. Like, it's, you know, handsome young ones. That would be nice. I think something's gone very wrong. Is that what he means? I don't no. know. No, it's the translation. Isn't. Pop it into Google Translate and see what comes out. Um, so it was reported that Corrie had been suffering from chronic depression. And she apparently had been experiencing some suicidal thoughts before she had vanished. There was some talk that she may have joined a cult because they still don't know where she is. Um, Her yoga teacher, 
told the media that she'd run away to live in India, which was not helpful from the yoga teacher. Thanks. Shut up. Yeah. Shut up. You don't, everyone's Wendy? doing interviews. I don't know if that's her name. but Do you reckon a Dutch yoga teacher? Wendy. Wendy. Not um, Swamasvati. Claudia. Claudia, yeah. <laughs> uh, so despite the fact that there still was no body, the rumours still were that Nico had done something mm. to Corrie, that he may have murdered her. 2008, after the statutory seven-year period ended, Corrie was legally declared dead. But her family never got over this. They were haunted Mm. by the fact that she disappeared and they always wanted to know what had happened to her. It was 17 years before they eventually got an answer. In September last year, 2018, Belgium's National Missing Persons Unit started exhuming and testing unidentified bodies for DNA comparison. And one of the first ones that they tested was an anonymous grave of a woman who had been buried in a cemetery in Bois-le-Villiers. I loved saying that. Uh, That was good. Mm. The woman, uh, this particular grave, the woman had thrown herself in front of a train on January the 7th, 2001. Let's just check that date against the day that Corrie went missing. Oh, it's the same day. Same day. Mm. This woman, the anonymous one, had been carrying only French and Belgian cash and a train ticket. Her injuries were so extensive she couldn't be identified visually. Got hit by a train. Mm. Um Corrie's family, because they had waited. So the reason, I mean, you and I are going, hang on, should I, this body was on the same day the lady went yeah, missing. Yeah, it looks like a suicide. Well, it was, because it was the three weeks before they reported oh, Corrie right. missing, it was enough that the two police and, and also the tr- where the train accident happened or where this incident happened was 100 kilometres from her home. And so because what of year the, are we in? Three, uh, 2001 was when mm. she went missing. But because it's 100 kilometres and three weeks, nobody automatically went, yeah. oh, that must be the lady that's Would missing Would they have had there. CCTV at train stations in 2001? Oh, I feel like Maybe I want to say not. yes. I don't know. Oh, you feel like Yes. Kirsten, you're better at technical things. I don't know. No. I don't know. Okay. What good what what you say, you Kirsten? What I feel ha- like no. Hmm. Don't know. So they didn't connect the cases at the time, but they did a DNA test on the unknown woman, confirmed last year that it was in fact Corrie van der Volk. Uh, police from both countries, so Belgium and the Netherlands, tried to work out what had happened on the last day of her life. So they were able to work out now that she had travelled alone from Gelderland to Paris and then onto a station in Brussels South. She got on board a train destined for Dinant, wherever that is, um, and what happened to her then still is not clear, but they say that she was hit and killed by a train. It looks very much as though. Oh, so Nico didn't kill her? No. No. Oh, damn. This whole time I thought he pushed her in front of a train. No, everyone did. But this is the thing. 17 years, he was suspected of being a murderer. Everywhere he went in town, people thought, even his own family. Like my auntie. Yeah, well, I'm not. Murderers here. <laughs> Actually, no, I don't know for a fact that his family did, but I certainly know. Rumours were that town he had done gossip. It. And yeah. he hadn't, he hadn't. So, one of her daughters, Sandra, when they found out the truth about her, they said, We're deeply upset, but we're also relieved that an end has come to a long period of uncertainty. Mm. And another one of the relatives said, We're sad, but we're also relieved that there is now clarity after so many years. So and they would have, they've know. got a body. Yeah, finally. They, they don't know for sure why she did it or even yeah. if she did it deliberately 
it does seem so though if she had this, you know, depression and she had yeah. spoken of suicide. Hmm. Mystery solved. I like it. I don't like it. I was kind of hoping that Nico was the murderer, but I shouldn't say that. No. Well, that was my little red herring. See, I was, yeah, yeah, I liked it. Okay. Hmm. Feedback from Miranda. Hi, Dee Miranda. And Chanel. Miranda. <laughs> Haven't you seen Picnic and Hanging Rock? Where she yes, goes I told you that. That stupid song in it that pisses me off every t- <laughs> Nice things, nice things. Miranda says, as an AirPods wearer, e-scooter riding listener, I back up Chanel's love of these devices. And this is how I listen to your podcasts Mm. on my commute. Go on with your friend Miranda. I I was giving you space to interject. No. Which at 40 plus minute per podcast means I get at least one return to work out of a podcast. Feel free to make them way longer so I get more trips. <laughs> I do that. I pick which one I'm going to listen to according yeah. to. Oh my God, have you listened to what? John and Jerrica? No. Haven't you listened to the John and Jerrica podcasts? No. Oh my God, you have to. They're sex I only therapists. listen to our podcast. What? Oh, you have to. Promise me you'll listen to it on the way home. Joan and Jerrica, the second series just okay. dropped. Anyway, go on with it. Soz, how do you feel knowing a listener is listening on AirPods? Whatever, Miranda. I feel like you've taken sides and you love Chanel more than me. Probably. And to add insult to injury, I'm about to head off to India for a few weeks, so I'll need to binge listen on my return. India is full of dead bodies. Is it? Yes. A like friend it would of be mine haunted. Who did a travel show for years hmm. said you just get off a bus and there's like bodies there and people what? don't even care. Yes, she said they're like on the side of the road and people don't even care because there's so many of them. I'm hoping to come across an interesting dead body story or tradition from the subcontinent to share with you is her next sentence. Miranda can have her own whole episode when she gets back. Ideally not my own. My dentist informed me this week that he needed to identify one of his female patients who had gone to India solo. Oh, with the dental records. Yeah, I did ask him to confirm my dental records are up to date and my mum knows who my dentist is. Mm. I'll miss you guys while I'm away and look forward <laughs> to at least three commutes with AirPods in November. Oh, please come back to us safe. Miranda, would you, just, would you mind? We don't generally request specific emails, but Miranda, can you let us know when you're back yeah. safe? Because now I'm going to worry about it. Well, my dentist time. is a real hack. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's a hack. Has he got your records though? Because like one time I was in the chair, and he asked me if I wanted Botox while I was there. Oh, in you in your face? In my face? What? Yeah. He offered me. He said, "Oh, I'm doing Botox now. Are you interested?" And I said, mm, "I don't think so." Because you need to sort of frown and look serious at the news, don't you? Well, it would be like I don't know, getting a chef to fix your car. It's yeah, it's a bit of multitasking it's that I'm not sure much. that I want from a person yeah. with sharp instruments in front of them. No thanks. Uh, this is from Laura, who we have heard from before. Um, hi, ladies. Just wanted to touch base with you regarding the Anna, Alice Pingle, Irene Ferrer, and young lady story I shared with you both a couple of episodes ago. So we spoke to Laura in episode forty-seven. She was es- um, investigating a story of Alice Pingle, who was a woman who was jailed in WA over the death of a young mother at the end of World War Two, I mm. think there was, was it an abortion thing? Yes. Something. And one of her family members had got embroiled. Anyway. Welcome so back. that's Laura. Yeah, I remember talking to her. Uh, Laura says, I was so chuffed to hear my interview with you on the podcast. It was especially special 
as I was able to listen to it alongside my darling mum, who at the time it went to air. She was dying. Was gravely ill. (gasps) I'm psychic. Careful. Are you? After spending many years battling multiple cancers, she really, really enjoyed listening to you ladies. And the funniest part was, as the podcast was playing, Dee Dee was talking about the Tasmanian cannibal convict. I was chatting away to mum because my part wasn't coming up here. But mum was so engrossed in the story that she told me to shut up because she wanted to listen to the story you were telling. Anyway, it was a really, really lovely memory I now have of my mum as she passed away with my dad and myself by her side on the 11th of June. Thank you for letting us know, Laura. I'm sorry about that. I'm glad we made her yell at you, though. I know. Not even that we enthralled her with a story, just that we made her yell at you. Yeah. That's my favourite. Laura shares a little bit more about mum's passing. Um, And on the book, which she was writing, she says, so the story and book have taken a quiet sit down for the last few, hang on. So the story in the book have taken a quiet sit down for the last few months. Uh, I've hit a number of brick walls in my research. So obviously she's a bit sad to continue with it for the moment. Um, She goes on to say, nice things times a million. I've been meaning to write you this email for a while. But as you can imagine, losing my mum has been a painful process. Of course. I found a lot of comfort in listening to the two of you, though. Each new episode, I kind of feel like mum is listening along with me, and I often find myself wondering what her comments on some of your tales would be. It's become a great source of comfort and a little ritual I have to feel close to my mum again. Oh, isn't that lovely? Thank you for one of the best podcasts around. Oh, Laura, stop it. Shut up and listen, Laura. Laura. Get busy on your book, Laura. Shut up and listen. Yeah, we want to read your book, so get back to work. When you've finished grieving. Sorry, we don't want to push Sorry. you. Sorry. Yeah. Lovely. We mean to be rude. Well, that was lovely. Thank you, Laura, for taking the Thank trouble you. to do that. because That is lovely. Yeah. Um, I've got one last one from Danielle. Uh, love listening to your podcast. I work as a nurse in an aged care facility. You see so many dead people. She says she's seen many dead bodies over the years, but she actually has a story about her daughter's first encounter with a dead body. She says she was visiting me when I was a patient in the hospital Um, When she was 14, she sat in the chair next to me and next to me was a lovely old lady sitting in the other chair. She had dozed off. Yes, of course she had. Or so we thought. Was she snoring? No. No. Didn't think so. No. Her family came to visit her. No, none of that. Her family come in. Oh, the family of the old lady? Yes. Oh, she's asleep. No, they can't wake her. Mm, Yep. Next minute, doctors and nurses were coming from everywhere. They moved her to the bed. They start CPR, but she didn't make it. Staying alive. Stay, oh. That's the staying song, alive. isn't it, that you do uh, CPR to? Uh, 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 staying alive, staying alive. So where I work, the staff, there was an emergency, a medical emergency, and everyone was like panicking, like, how, how many breaths is it in, out? Stop in it. it. Did you start singing? Well, yes. <laughs> I wasn't here when the emergency happened, but I said later, staying alive, staying alive. But then I thought, I, I don't know how many pumps it is before you I do I want to go do that. Well, they reckon 20, 20 pumps oh. uh, 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 and then a breath or two breaths okay. or something. But, yeah, it's worth a bit of check. Well, Danielle's daughter's now 21 and she's still traumatised by this. Oh, dear. If she ever has to visit a hospital, she has to be dragged in, kicking and screaming, and she'll never sit down. <laughs> Keep up the good work, Danielle. <laughs> oh, Danielle, lovely to hear from you. Well, there we are. There's another episode. Uh, Sorry I've coughed the whole time. Well, no one's ever going to know that you did because – I know, Curse has edited out a lot of coughing. Yeah. Mm. A lot. 
A lot. Poor baby. A very brave little soldier. You're welcome. <laughs> um, we'd love to hear about your dead body stories. Email's coming up now. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.